Welcome to the HR Chat Show, one of the world's most downloaded and shared podcasts designed for HR pros, talent execs, tech enthusiasts, and business leaders. For hundreds more episodes and what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And in this episode, we're going to ask, how can we lead others to dive into the never-ending waves of change? And my awesome returning guest today is the fabulous, wonderful Greg Brown, an in-demand global speaker and advisor. Uh, Greg engages leaders all over the world to build the courage to dive into the never-ending waves of change that we are going to be talking about today. Uh, these audiences range from Fortune 500 companies such as Johnson Johnson and TD Bank through to international humanitarian organizations including the UN, Habitat for Humanity and the CDC. Greg, my friend, welcome back to the show. Bill, it's so good to see you again and be on the show. So beyond my reintroduction there, why don't you just take a minute and uh, remind our listeners about yourself and what you get up to? Well, I have been so lucky outside of the other end of COVID to be traveling all over the place and speaking on change. And of course, that's all happening in the context of the future of work and what is going on with that. So that's been keeping me really busy. And then outside of that, I just moved. So that's another big change I'm going through. Thanks for tuning in to the HR Chat Podcast. If you're enjoying this episode, We'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe and leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. And now, back to the conversation. Greg, you've got a new book coming out. Congratulations on that. Uh, It's called Spark Action. Tell us more. Yeah, it's all about how do we lead change that matters to us? And it's it really takes a holistic view and an you know, from my perspective, it's a new model that only not only looks at the kinds of change that's going on, but how do we lead others and how and gets out of that mindset of having to sell and convince others. Because I hear that all the time. I have to sell and convince people. And of course, that doesn't work. And it moves more into the dialogue of how do we create change in ourselves and others so that they can actually engage in our ideas because it's it's more than information. We want people to take action. And my book really shows you how to do that. Let's get into some of the lessons that are in your book then. Firstly, what is the future of work looking like from your perspective, Greg? And how does that impact specifically the HR profession? Well, I think you know the HR profession has been called to action the last number of years, certainly with COVID. You know, we know that healthcare professionals were at the at the front line. In organization, it was HR professionals that were the front line during COVID. And I think that's even ramped up more now. I mean, let's just talk about what the future of work is, because people use that term constantly, and I'm not sure if everyone knows what it is. It's really about, you know, three pillars, advancement in technology, changing economic landscapes, and of course, the shifting societal expectations. And all of those things come down to the workforce and the HR professions having to step up, whether it's trying to figure out different technological pieces that are going on and how that impacts people working in a hybrid model, 
through to the, you know, the changing economic landscapes, no matter where you sit on the planet, things are shifting and they're shifting rapidly. And of course, society, all of us are expecting different things. We want hybrid workforces. We're looking at more control over our jobs. The HR profession's running on a treadmill, trying to keep up with the talent shortage, new policies, new technologies, competing leaders' priorities. And I think it's impacting all of us that are either in HR or around the HR profession very heavily these days. Fidelo Inc. is a consulting firm specializing in improving human performance, and we're proud to support the HR Chat Podcast. We help identify strategic competencies and behaviors that drive results. Our team offers an HR web software to manage systems, reports, and data for HR people that need the best insights to make the right decisions and achieve better results. Learn more at fidelo.com. Let's talk a little bit about DEI, uh, because mm-hmm. DEI is top of mind for many HR pros at the moment, uh, as it has been over the last few years. And you talk in your book about how to build a bridge with topics that might be perceived as difficult or tough. What are your top tips for our listeners who, who have had those conversations? Well, I think the most important, I think there's two pieces. I think the first one is, and I talk a bit about this in the book, about getting a PhD in yourself. When we're talking about anything related to DEI, we want to know what what are the words, what is the language, what are the phrases that upset us personally or that tick us off or that trigger or activate something in us. Because if we're having a dialogue with someone about this, and we get activated in some way, we don't want that to take over the conversation because if someone is feeling safe enough to ask a question, we wanna continue that, that conversation in a way that we can do some education at that moment. So I think that's the first piece is, is knowing what activates you around the language so that you can take a step back in the conversation and continue the dialogue. The second piece I think that's really important is being able to build the bridge and having the, ever, finding something that the individual or group can relate to that's relatable for um, these DEI conversations. Because everyone has experienced various aspects on the DEI continuum because it's not, you know, it's not a black and white continuum. It's, it's very gray and there's layers, whether it's socioeconomic, whether it's diversity issues, whether it's equity. I mean, it could be anything, accessibility, and there's layers of that. And so I think when we, we start talking about what activates us first, how do we build the bridge by finding something that people can relate to? And, and that's, what I think is the most important is is finding that relatability and bringing people in gently to the conversation and not hitting them over the head about what you think is right. I think it's about, you know, getting out of that selling and convincing mindset that we have to get other people engaged and make them do things to more of an educator mindset and having a dialogue and creating a space of safety for people to talk. Okay, so what do some of those processes look like then, Greg, to, to get to that point where you can have those those safe conversations? Well, I think what it starts off with is getting into the head of your audience. So it gets out of that the context of, um, you know, I have to sell and convince and moves into asking these questions. What does the audience need to know? Who do they need to be? What do they need to have to, to stay present and to stay engaged in the conversation? Because the 
the change, the buy-in, the agreement always happens in the mind of the other person. So we want to start our conversation before we walk in. We have to go, what do they need to know? What do they need to have? What do they need to say? What do they need to be to engage in this? Because, you know, they have their own issues. You have your issues. And the person you're trying to engage with, it always starts with them. So get into their heads and ask that question. Because remember, it, it happens in their mind. You can sell, convince, sing, dance, throw things, give statistics. It's not going to shift people. We need to start with them and us. What do they need to know to engage with this? And that's always the starting point. In the fast-changing new world of work, organizations that want to succeed must support their teams to develop the right skills for today and for the future. As practical learning experts, Holt EF Corporate Education helps organizations and employees of all levels to develop the critical business skills, attitudes and behaviors they need to be successful. We combine the expertise and agility of a boutique learning partner with the resources of a trusted, global organization. Learn more at HaltEF.com. Although I would suggest to you, Greg, that there are a lot of statistics out there that show that having a more diverse workforce does actually improve. The Absolutely. Absolutely. There are lots of statistics. And we know that because we get diversity of thinking, diversity of backgrounds, diversity of beliefs. And that increases our ability to be more functional as an organization. Yet what I'm hearing from people is having those conversations becomes more than statistics because people have values, beliefs, morals, you know, religious backgrounds, and you know, cultural beliefs, depending where you live on the planet. And all of those impact you know, the HR professional and how we bring up these dialogues. Because we know from a business perspective, yes, diversity is important. And when we start to have the conversations and the, the foot on, feet on the ground conversations about how do we make this happen in our organization, that's where the issues start to come up. Greg, many employees are feeling pretty overwhelmed these days with the amount mm -hmm. of change caused by such issues as, as technology and uh, generative AI and how that could be replacing jobs, not just augmenting them, for example, and, and other contextual issues as well, of course, you know, the, the cost of living crisis we're all going through, the, 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 the war in the Ukraine and how that makes us feel and many, many other issues. Okay. Mm -hmm. but what, what are your top tips for, for people to, to manage that overwhelm of, of this? Well, I, yeah, great question. Yeah. Work, and generally in their lives as well, you know, well, and that's one thing that we know with COVID. I mean, it's the first time in our work lives that our personal and professional have overlapped and blended so much. And of course, that can create a sense of overwhelm. So there's there's two tips I'll give you. The first one is whenever we are feeling overwhelmed, and you know, I've been feeling that a lot in my own life. You know, we've been moving, my work has been super busy, I've been traveling a lot, my my favorite pet on the whole planet passed away earlier in April. You know, my mother-in-law has got dementia going on. Like, there's a lot going on. And I know everyone listening has their own pieces going on as well. When we're overwhelmed or feeling overwhelmed, what that usually means is we have a lot of options. We have a lot of work on the table. And the number one tip I give people today, and I use this word purposefully, is relentless prioritization. Because when we have a lot going on, the only real answer to that is to prioritize. And when we're really got a lot going on, 
It's about relentless prioritization, which means sometimes you're prioritizing every hour and reprioritizing every hour. And let me just be clear what prioritization is. Prioritization does not mean saying everything is a priority. Because when we say everything is a priority, it actually means nothing is a priority by definition. So figure out a way to relentlessly prioritize, whether it's using deadlines, whether it's using return on investment, whether it's getting quick wins out of the way, whether it's getting, you know, something really visible to happen in your organization quickly or something personal that's really easy to get out of, way, out of the way, do relentless prioritization. And that's, you know, the number one tip I can also say about uh, managing overwhelm. The second tip I'll give you is to ask the question, because this is what happened during COVID. All of us were overwhelmed. We had no idea what was going on. We couldn't see what the future held. And when we can't see what the future holds, that creates overwhelm. So my second tip is ask the question of yourself, of your team, of your family. What were the skills and abilities that we used during COVID? What were the new skills and abilities that we developed? Because I can tell you, every single person on the planet, I mean, everyone has a whole new set of change muscles that they developed as going through COVID. And I don't just mean learning technology, which everybody had to learn how to do generally. It's all about how did I go through all the waves of disruption that we have? Because those are the muscles that we can use to navigate the future. Those are the muscles that we can use to manage overwhelm. So for example, for myself, I like to have everything predicted out in the future. You know, before COVID, you know, my, my calendar was booked a year in advance. I knew where I was going. I knew what I was doing. The big muscle I developed in COVID was learning how to live with ambiguity. And I am so much better at that than I used to be. So when things cancel, when things change, I roll with the punches much better than I used to. I'm not perfect. I'm still building that muscle. However, I remind myself of what I did during COVID can help me manage the future. So use perspective to your advantage and ask that question. What well, one new skill or ability did I or my team develop in the last few years and how can I use that going forward? Just on the note of prioritization, Greg, uh, I, I recently interviewed uh, one of the Disrupt HR London speakers. I, I'm, I'm one of the organizers of Disrupt HR London in the UK these days. Um, and we spoke about getting rid of clutter um, he's a he's a minimalist if you like to the extent that he even he ignores uh meeting requests or, or, or meetings and things if he feels like they're just going to get in the way i wonder where you stand on you know just getting rid of the clutter and, and saying you know what this is not a priority for me I, it's not even going to be on my list well i think you know i think so if we go back to some of Stephen Covey's work you know he had work he talks about the urgent and prior, urgent and importance matrix and, you know, there's four quadrants, things that are, you know, urgent and important, things that are not urgent and important, uh, things that are important but not urgent, and then, then things that are not urgent or not important. And I call that, that's sort of my clutter pile, if you want to use that language. And I think, you know, when our, it, we don't want to run our work by our emails because that's not the way you want to run your day. And I think when we look at different pieces of, emails or work or meetings, whatever people's work is that comes in across their desk, there are some stuff that is not urgent or, or not important. And, you know, I have a pile on my desk and every six months I go through it. And most of the stuff I didn't need to deal with, I might find one thing. But, you know, if it's not urgent or not important, it hasn't flagged. 
Um, I tend not to, um, I'm not the person to ignore emails or meeting requests in terms of one of the things I know with the research, certainly in my world, is that, you know, fast time responses um, really uh, people appreciate. And that's in my context. So if, if it's not important to me, I will respond and just say, hey, you know, I'm going to have to postpone this or it's not on my radar. Um, but I don't like to leave people's emails and meeting requests hanging out in the ethers somewhere. And that's just my uh, belief. I think everybody needs to find a piece that works for them. Um, and I do know about the clutter piece, the other piece about it is one of the pieces we do know and what I use when I feel overwhelmed, like I'm looking at my desk right now, is when I organize, because that organizing capability, when I can put some structure around the amount of work I have, that creates um, and reduces my sense of overwhelm as well. Greg, two more questions for you before we do wrap up for today. And I'm gonna challenge you to answer the next question in 90 seconds or less. Okay, okay. here we go. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you lay out a roadmap, Greg, for people to engage others so that they can take action, of course. What's the number one thing in 90 seconds or less that you can suggest to people to improve their ability to get others to take action quickly, given all of these competing pressures going on? Absolutely. I think the number one thing that people can do is to pay attention to the language that they're using when they're trying to engage others. And by that, I mean, get into the head of the other person. You might have to translate language. You know, if you're an HR person, sometimes we have to take our language and translate it to the business so that the business understands what we're asking for. Because the language is the currency with which we get our work done during the day, whether it's written, verbal, whatever language we're using. And, you know, even nonverbals is, is a form of language. And, and we want to pay it because the language that we're using can either engage people or disengage. And every single one of us who are on this session today with you and every single person listening, we, we don't have any more, we don't have any less time on the planet. We have, we, we don't have any more time. Our goal is to keep people, keep them engaged as quickly as we can and move them down the path. So we want to keep our language future focused. We want to keep our language engaging. We want to translate it so other people can understand that. Because when we use language that disengages people, it takes time and none of us have more time. And we're running out of time today, Greg. Um, so before we wrap up, how can our listeners connect with you? And of course, how can they get a copy of your awesome new book, Spark Action? The book's going to be out October 3rd. So if people want to go to bechangeready.com, that's bechangeready.com. They can find out more there or go to sparkactionbook.com and they can down, and they can pre-order a copy of Spark Action, How to Lead Change That Matters. Wonderful. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, Greg Bren, my friend, I've enjoyed chatting with you again. I always love having you on this show. We must do more of this. I, uh, I host other podcasts. I'll find reasons to get you on those too. But for today, thank you very much for being my guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thank you, Bill. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thanks for listening to the HR Chat Show. If you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe and listen to some of the hundreds of episodes published by HR Gazette. And remember, for what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com.